You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, then who the hell else are you talking to? You talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Oh, yeah? Huh? Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of So What Did You Think? This is a special wedding episode. I'm currently in North Carolina right now, in Durham, North Carolina, um, at my own brother's wedding. And with me today are two very special guests. These are also groomsmen for the weddings. This is Sid and Aditya. How do you say hi, everybody? Hey. Hello. <laughs> it's very wedding themed that we're doing taxi driving. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Classic <laughs> wedding movie, right? Classic wedding movie. Very feel good. Um, get you in the spirit of things. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, the movie we watched was Taxi Driver. For those of you who don't know, uh, this show is called So What'd You Think? And this is a movie podcast show where me and a guest, in this case two guests, will come on and we will discuss a movie that we have just seen for the very first time and give our immediate reactions to it. Um, yeah, um, so let's, let's get into it. The first few minutes we're going to be spoiler free, so if you haven't seen Taxi Driver, uh, feel free and stick around um, and then uh, go see the movie, come back, and then listen to it. Um, yeah, all right, Sid, Adelia, what what'd you guys think? Uh, so what yeah. do you think? So <laughs> so what do we think? Um, yeah, I thought it was good. So I think the thing that struck me about it is, um, I think going in, all I really knew was that it was like the seminal gritty noir film, and it showed like a ugly side of New York, and that it had some controversial stuff um, regarding violence and like the casting of a twelve-year-old as a prostitute. That's about all I knew going in. Um, and I will say that watching it, those things were all true, but I was struck by how unaffected I was by it. Like I was telling Sid this earlier and we can talk more about it when we talk about Joker later, but it didn't really feel all that groundbreaking or like new to me. And I think maybe that's because it's a 40 year old movie that has influenced 40 years worth of movies and Scorsese movies and gritty noir movies since. Um, but I was like, yeah, this is good. I get it, but I'm not blown away. Like I wouldn't watch it again probably. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, Sid, what do you think? So I feel similarly. So I I felt this way when I watched Citizen Kane for the first time where I was like, yeah, you know, it's good. But like, I don't know what makes this the best movie of all time, which obviously I don't know anything about movies clearly. But um, <laughs> I, for the record, you guys are both New York based filmmakers right now, too. <laughs> That's good to hear. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know nothing about film. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I guess like when a movie is that influential, you see the kind of the tropes that it creates for the next however many years. And in this case, it's like 40 years. So yeah, like I said, a lot of it was like, all right, yeah, like we've seen this sort of thing before. Uh, everything from like the acting style to the filmmaking itself to the story even. Um, I feel like it's kind of like penetrated film culture since then. That being said, like I thought performances were really great. Um, and I also just had this thought throughout that was like, wow, I can't believe this got made in 1970-whatever. Yeah. Which was, it was cool. Agreed. Yeah. De Niro was really, really good. Yeah. Yes. And I haven't, like, I feel like I grew up on, like, old De Niro. Meet the I've, parents De Niro? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> or, like, what, Silver Linings Playbook De Niro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I feel like recently I've been going back and watching his, like, actual... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was stuff. actually really good. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Meet the Fockers is a classic. <laughs> it is a classic, yes. Sure. Um, okay, interesting. I, had, I think I have a different take. I think I liked it more. Um, I think it's like very well acted, very well directed. Um, 
it's very subtle in its execution. I mean, we'll compare it to like not movies that are now like The Joker and stuff like that. And I think it was way more subtle and more nuanced in what it was trying to say, and it wasn't trying to beat you over the head in its message about mental illness and violence. Um, I thought that like cinematography was very interesting, and the music was very good. Um, I think it was worth watching, but I do say that it does feel dated. I think agreeing to what Aditya said, and I think I'm just confused by the message of the film, yeah. because huh. his character, his arc is so strange, and mm-hmm. it's almost like glorifying it's or praising. It, yeah. there's, a, there's a redemption arc in his whole character, which was really confusing, because he's not a good person, and he does bad things. So it was more confusing in that sense than I think other movies. So I don't really feel like it plays super well today, but I think for the time when it came out, it was probably just groundbreaking. And I think there is credit to be earned for what, what that, doing that. So, um, are, you, are you talking spoilers now, by the way? Um, yeah, we can do spoilers now. So yeah, if you, <laughs> if you, yeah, since we've all given our general thoughts. Um, if, if you haven't seen the movie, go see Taxi Driver, come back, listen to the rest of this, because we have lots of more thoughts. Um, cool. The reason I asked is because I want to talk about the arc a little bit more. Um, yeah, sure. yeah, so like, I agree. It was totally wild to me. I did not expect, I knew there was a big violent shootout at the end, and I did not expect that De Niro's character would survive that, that Travis would end up like... I kind of wish he had it. I wish he hadn't too. And then he ends up with the newspaper clipping, and then he kind of gets the option to get the girl at the end. Like, all of those things, in the way that people say Joker, like, was glorifying this kind of disaffected white man who is just not good at life, but expects to be, like, glorified for all the things that he can't do, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I felt like Taxi Driver was a similarly like sympathetic portrait almost by the end of someone who had kind of been cast aside. He was a Vietnam veteran. He like was looking at this gritty underbelly. He clearly had some kind of social anxiety taking um, that girl to a porn, <laughs> to a, a porn theater. Um, and I, I just feel like, yeah, it was a little, I think glorifying was the right word to use, Nick. It, it I, I think me like, yeah. I, I hate to compare it to Joker. I know we talked about we'd compare it to Joker later on, but I do think it's a, it's a relevant comparison because Joker, my problem with it is like, I, at no point did I think that the character was close to redemption. He It just felt like he was kind of on this track and by the end of it, he had like, he was the epitome of like villainous evil person, just like glorified by other people who were into that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I do think there was some... I don't know if it was, like, perfectly executed, but there was some redemption to this. So I didn't feel, like, I felt super uncomfortable towards the end of yes. Joker where I was like, what is, like, this, I, like, don't like how this story is ending. Whereas at the end of Taxi Driver, I was like, all right, like, it was kind of an accidental redemption, but, you know, he's, he does have some, there is some redemption there. And I was, like, okay with that, I think. I was a little thrown by the fact that the newspaper, like, media was like, this is the best guy ever. That, like, threw me a bit. But at the same time, they're not like, this is the best guy ever for, like, shooting a talk show host it's like for disrupting the cd underbelly that's like pimping out very young girls so like if that's what he's getting pressed for like i guess that's not the worst thing right i think what's also interesting is that this is clearly someone that is like mentally ill and mentally unstable through this whole movie and i think what's so it was just strange watching him be allowed to get a gun and then also be able to kill people and like it's like the filmmakers were saying that you were allowed to kill people as long as they're bad people mm-hmm. and then he didn't really have any repercussions from it yeah. and by the end it was like he killed these people and you but I guess seen as a hero so, because he killed the, the pimp you know like you know. just like pushing back is that so different than like any of our other heroes like any but he shouldn't be the hero I think this is more of I 
until the end of the movie, I, I understood this as an observation of a mentally ill person and we're not supposed to empathize with this person that much. Mm. Yeah, actually, when I looked up the film afterward to like, do some research on it, like read some pieces about it, it's considered like a seminal anti-hero film, which is like really interesting. Because I, I actually, I don't view this as a film about mental illness. Okay. Because it, feel, it feels to me like uh, Travis is like very deliberate in what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. Everything seems calculated. Like his observation of the woman who works at the campaign, um, the way that he follows Jodie Foster just to make sure like, that he knows what's going on, the way that he buys the gun, the way he talks to the, secure, uh, the social security, what's his name, secret service guy. Like all those things are very meticulously planned. And Well, okay. To be fair, I think people who are mentally unstable can be like smart enough and clever enough to do these things. And I think that... Yeah, but it didn't, it didn't strike me as like a a crazy person. It struck me as a disaffected person who was just a bad guy doing things and not, not really a mentally ill way. Like, I think calling it mental illness is, is interesting because it reminds me of the way that like the media calls everyone who shoots people like a m- mentally ill when in reality some of these people are just bad guys that are hateful or, you know, like are disaffected and, and want to so get back to society. So you view this, this guy as more just a hateful individual who's trying to get back at the... I think he's like, he's disaffected by the way that society has treated him and by the way he sees the city as a taxi driver. And he's like, I know what I can do to make it better. And it's like his own warped perception of what is better. It's like a guy who shoots up mall who's like, this is, you know... Okay. So I think I understand the, the primary difference in our takes of this movie yeah. then is because I viewed it as that and I viewed it as a good job in describing mental illness because it was subtle, but I think it was so subtle that you didn't even see it that way. And so I think that's maybe why you didn't like it as much maybe. Um, but so I do have evidence, I think, to why I thought the mental illness was like subtle and good. Um, and I, I think the first thing is at the beginning of the movie when he can't differentiate taking a girl to see a movie versus a dirty film. Mm-hmm. And he sees that as just like, that's the same thing. And he just doesn't pick up on that, that social cue. Mm-hmm. Where it's like a movie is a movie. And it's just like, oh, this just sounds interesting. And he doesn't totally understand that. Um, and then um, another, and then like when he realizes later and then he comes into the, her office and he's all drunk and disheveled and that kind of escalates and he yells at her. It's just like him not realizing the cues of that. So I think that was interesting. Um, but is that mental illness? It could be. It could be. I, think I mean, it, it's it hard could, to diagnose hard through to the screen, but like, right, like missing right. social cues could be like low, whatever, some mild form. It could be autism. Yeah, it could be right. something. I mean, you don't want to diagnose the character right. for you, but like, I think there is, there could be something there. I mean, even when he is writing a suicide note at the end, his handwriting is like super childlike, as if like he could. I mean, he could just obviously have bad handwriting, but it, it seemed deliberately like he was writing like a child would, and his sentence structure was very simple and short. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like there might have been something to be said about that. Uh, he also, like, when he... His way he flirts with her, too, is, like, particularly interesting. Like, he talks about the organized poster that he... Mm-hmm. He, like, mentions, like, oh, it's, like, that thing or whatever. And then later, and you actually see that he has that poster in his apartment, which kind of makes you think that, like, oh, maybe he can only, like, have topics of conversation that he is surrounded by, you know? Like, oh. he can only take girls to see dirty movies because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. He can only talk about posters that he has instead of, like, oh, topics that he's unfamiliar that's what with. From poster? I thought that the poster was him doing research on, like, like meticulous research on Palantine and, like, what he was going to do to kill him. Like, he went to a bunch of these rallies. He went to the volunteer stuff. He went to the volunteer thing to find the girl, and then afterward he decided to kill the senator. But, like, he, I thought he went to a bunch of different rallies and events and, like, cut out newspaper clippings and stuff of the senator to, like, do his research on his mark. 
Okay, but I think to counter that, then I just I don't understand because he also doesn't know things about movies. Like when whenever they're talking about movies, he's like, "Oh, I know nothing about movies." Or like politics, he's like, "Oh, I, I stay out of politics. I know nothing about politics." Blah blah blah. So there's like, if he was trying to meticulously research her and like be a stalker, then like why wouldn't he? Why why is he picking and choosing certain things to? No, I think less that he is like meticulously studying policies that the senator has in order to talk to the girl and more so once he decides that he's going to kill this guy he's like going to events and figuring out the schedule and what those what the structure of those events are because when he goes to the rally at the end he no i mean he goes to that first rally talks to the secret service agent does a bunch of observation kind of gets the lowdown on what they do and tries to get information about what kind of gun they have like what kind of training they have and then he goes to the rally at the end and he knows exactly where to go and his mistake there was that he had talked to the Secret Service agent earlier. If he hadn't, he would have gotten away with it and killed the senator. Okay, interesting. Sid, what do you think? <laughs> um, I, I just, I don't know if your takes are mutually exclusive, kind of. Yeah, and I think there might be something to be said that is the two separate interpretations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're both, they're both valid interpretations. I, like, I personally landed that there was it was supposed to be implied that there was some level of mental illness, whatever that might be. Right. Um, I don't know if it needed to be super explicit. Again, like a problem I had with Joker was it was like hammer you over yeah. the head, like this is mental illness. Yeah. Right. Whereas I feel like Taxi Driver is like, you could maybe take that, you could maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe I noticed the mental illness section of it more having seen Joker previous to this movie and having Todd Phillips, who is the director of the Joker, say that this is the Joker version of Taxi Driver. So I went into right. it thinking, okay, there's probably going to be some element of mental illness. Mm-hmm. So that could be part of it. Um, but I'm curious, what did you think of then, like the scene where he buys the gun? Because I thought that was probably my favorite scene in the movie just because of the, un- the sense of like dread and uneasiness mm-hmm. that you feel, particularly just because like this is a man who should not be able to get a gun and is yeah. buying a gun. And he's like holding it and he's like shooting, he's looking at the window and he's like, oh yeah. Every like, scene, I mean, every scene where he's at the shooting range, where he's like prepping the gun, I think my favorite scene was um, the first scene, not the are you talking to me scene, but the other scene where he's talking to the mayor and he's like, practicing pulling out the gun from his oh, sleeve. Oh, yeah, from the sleeve. Oh, yeah. that yeah. stuff was... That, all the stuff in his room was really great, and the way that they framed his head cut off in a couple of the shots and stuff, I thought the framing and was the really cool. The shooting range was the really cool. The shooting range was really great. The directing mm-hmm. was really good. Yeah. Um, but what did I think of that scene? Yeah, I think it was, like, disconcerting. Um, but again, I didn't feel like... I felt... Yeah, I felt like it was... There was a lot of dread. But, I mean, the thing is, it was an illegal guy, right? The guy was, like, an illegal arms dealer. So it wasn't, like, shocking to me that he could get a gun because he asked this taxi guy, like, where can I get a hookup? And he was like, there's, this guy shows up with a briefcase full of pistols. Like, it just felt like, I mean, honestly, I watched it and just thought about, and I think maybe because of the context that I saw Joker in, where I was thinking about all the things that people were saying about how it could be um, inspiring to killers and things like that, and people who wanted to, you know, commit acts of gun violence in the U.S., in the same way that Taxi Driver actually inspired the guy who tried to kill Reagan. Um... And so when I went into that scene, viewing it through that lens as like tax, the Travels Pickle character is like a 70s version of the kind of people that we hear about on the news who okay. are like disaffected right. youths, white youths. Which like is, again, up. is not probably totally mutually exclusive. No, right, exactly. So. And some of those people definitely have mental illness and traumatic stress and all those things. And so okay. I don't know if that answered your question, but I like the scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, yeah, I think what's interesting is that we like, both like the scene, but for different reasons. And I think we gather the same feeling, but again, for different reasons, which is cool, I guess. I felt like that scene was, um, that scene, among others, was almost like this cool snapshot of what, I guess, New York, but maybe more broadly America in the 70s looked like. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I felt that way for a lot of the movie that it was kind of um, just it was fascinating to see the the commentary on society that happens in this movie because it's it is different than than like Joker's commentary or like some equivalent thing right now. It was a different different world, different city back then. Can I ask a follow up question to say about that? So living in New York, no, you're not. Uh, uh, so living in I New York, yeah, you tell Nick and Nick ask me. <laughs> Um, so what did you think about the depiction of New York? Like that from, to me yeah. was really striking as someone who lives in yeah, New York. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I think New York in 1975 was a totally, totally different world. And like when I talked to like my dad who visited New York in even the eighties, he was like, Oh my God, Times Square was this like horrifying mess of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still a horrifying mess, but for different ways, I feel like, um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, for me, again, it felt like a snapshot of a, mm-hmm. a moment in time, and um, it was it was striking the differences, and it was striking. I think the way it was filmed, it's meant to kind of amplify that it's like gritty and gross and disgusting. And he has that like the like monologue sort of stuff about how it's gritty, gross, yeah. and disgusting over the whole film. And it's, I think it's really effective. And something that I just thought about when you said that is we've seen a lot of movies, even from Scorsese, about like the underbelly of New York in in the is it a part of New York. Boston, right? That's a lot of bad Boston accents. Um, but Goodfellas and like other movies like that, right? Um, and what I thought was interesting about this is that it was the same kind of people, like the underbelly, but it was the common man's like right. gritty and right. gross. Because the underbelly really usually liked. is like rich mobsters. Right. And it's like kind of appealing in that way. And this is like, it's gross. It's like not, you don't want to be part of this New York. Especially because that's how we know Scorsese, right? As um, either mobsters and mafia bosses or like the Wolf of Wall Street. And true, stuff like that, true, like the, yes. the bad guys that, you know, who are rich and well-connected and educated and like know what's going on. And this guy was just like a random dude who happened to stumble upon a bad section of what is an entirely disgusting city and try to clean it up. Yeah. That's I think I like the movie yeah. more as I talk about it to you guys. <laughs> I think that generally happens on the show. Um, that's interesting. I feel like I, don't, I didn't have that. I didn't see or focus on like the ideas of New York and stuff, but I do agree that it feels different than most movies I've seen about New York, especially like the underground part of it. I think that was, yeah, that, that makes me like it because it's, it's, it's more unique and it's the way it tries to depict the city too. Yeah, and something else that I noted in regards to New York um, is all, there are a ton of scenes. It was, it was a really quiet, contemplative movie for all the violence that happens at the end. Um, and I thought that it did, the one thing that I walked out being, I guess walked out, closed my laptop, of being like, this was really effective here in a way that I haven't seen, is the driving around scenes. A lot of movies try to do, guy drives around and thinks, and I thought that this movie did it better than most any movie I've seen. Um, Why? I just thought, <laughs> well, I thought that the score was super helpful, that saxophone theme that they play. Man, I did not love the score. Um, it felt really It felt a little Chinatowny as well. Like yeah. it, it was just it was kind of cheesy, but I think it worked with the setting mm-hmm. and the time period. I don't Right. I think it probably did work with the time period, but I was like, all right, we get it. We're in the 70s. It's yeah. saxophone. Cool. I got tired of it by the end, but like <laughs> Yeah. I, I, just the angles that we see him like through the mirror looking at Yeah, the the last scene where he's um driving her home, that also felt super random. I thought that was a dream for most of the scene. Um mm. but that the shot of just her like part of her face in the rearview mirror was wild. It was so, so cool. And the shot, the scene that Scorsese's in, um, Scorsese's the guy, I don't know if you guys saw this, Scorsese's the guy who talks about killing his wife because yes. she's sleeping with the black guy. Oh, I did not realize that. Yeah, yeah that's Scorsese in, wow. in his 30s. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, um, that scene was my favorite, was my other favorite scene. I was so uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable. Yeah. I thought it was really, really well done, but I was so uncomfortable and I wanted it to be over. 
So I guess uh, <laughs> Interesting. A, a question I had during a lot of these scenes, actually, is from like a screenwriting perspective, they always talk about, right, like you, every scene needs to have a purpose, needs to like drive character arc. And that was one scene where I was like, what, like, it is a great scene and I was super uncomfortable, but like, what, what purpose did you see that serving in the film, both for like his arc and also maybe overall story? And Yeah, I thought it was, if at all. I thought it was interesting because I think Scorsese's character in that could both be seen as a um, a personification of what Travis hates about the city, like these violent um, kind of criminal urges and, um, you know, people cheating on each other and like these, I don't know, all, the, all these things that he talks about that he hates, but also it kind of felt like he was thinking of listening to the way that Scorsese's character was talking about violence and like taking action on people who have wronged him and like probably got a little inspired by that. It was like, I think that character moment served a nice dual purpose of like, this is what he hates and also kind of what he wants to be. Because at the end, he kind of becomes part of the city underbelly, right? Because he gets a bunch of illegal guns and like shoots a guy in a gas station or a drugstore and then goes and shoots a bunch of people in a whorehouse. Like. Right. Which I think is an interesting message because it's like, it's showing that either New York or at least this specific character is like, he is kind of what he hates. Mm-hmm. He essentially becomes mm-hmm. part of the world that he is seeking to make better, yeah. um, which is like really dark. But also I think back to um, kind of what you were saying, like what the purpose is. I think what um, is really interesting is that like this movie has a bunch of scenes or at least beginnings of scenes where they'll have close-ups on other people in New York. Like they'll be going down a street and then it'll kind of focus on like this one homeless man and it'll linger on him for like 45 seconds and you kind of just gain a little bit into that world, which really fleshes out both the city and just like see, understand Travis's understanding of what the city is and why he either hates it or wants to make it better i feel like it plays into that like contemplative thing you were talking about even the driving scenes like i feel like um i almost wonder how much of this is meant to be like a portrait of a certain new york Mm -hmm. through the eyes of the protagonist but um like scenes like that moments like that really made me think like all right this isn't just about travis's story this is about new york at the time Mm mm-hmm what did you think of um, uh, thinking about people who that they you know the observations of people on the street and the way that the characters outside of Travis Joan um, his two that's not her name what's her name Jody um, the other woman that he's in love with and then like the the main people he's trying to kill like what do you think of the treatment of like the side character specifically like with regards to race that was really striking to me the whole time I was curious what you guys thought about that oh I don't know if I had a strong thought I was struck yeah. by that the movie was like quite white. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also read on IMDb trivia afterwards that Ooh, um, origi- originally, <laughs> apparently, all like the people working in the whorehouse were supposed to be black, and then Scorsese was like, "We can't do this given like the current climate. Like it'll come off as having strong race undertones, and so he made them all white, which is like right. great." Scorsese drops an N word in the in yes, that. whoa, yeah, a hard R, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is like the '70s, so it makes me wonder how purposeful the cast and most of the people being white is i mean again i didn't really pay too much attention to it mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know if it's like he's trying to show a certain side of new york that is primarily white and trying to show the like what these specific people are thinking or if it's just like the time period yeah and, what, did, uh, what were your thoughts well i just noted that not a single person there were plenty of black people in the movie um sid and i noted when we finished um when he finished watching it this morning that the first credit was Angry Black Man it was like one of the guy's names, like one characters of the first credit names, characters' yeah. names. Yeah. Didn't um, get a name. Yeah. <laughs> um, our guy, Adu, Mr. Adu, the Angry Black Man. Um, but all of the characters in the Senator's world were like very white, like very what we um, have come to know as like educated 
primmed, proper, groomed, in suits, white guys and white women. And then in the underbelly part, by the whorehouse, in Travis's um, taxi cab diner, in the, you know, the porn movie theater, like all of those people, there were black people in all of those and they were looking super stereotypically like what white people think that poor black people look like in the 70s. Mm. Okay. Like saggy pants, these baggy shirts, smoking with the, with the afro and like looking really like out of it. And it was just, I guess, striking to me that there was not one black character that had a line except for the guy who got shot for robbing a, uh, a store. Okay. Well, what, what, so what? Yeah, that's, that's bad. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely bad. It's a good line, though. But line. it's a great line. Whatever it was. No, don't shoot. Whatever it was. Crush it. Yeah, he really killed that line. Yeah. Um, highlight of the movie. Um, well, so I guess what, what I will say in trying to defend the movie for it. Um, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. It's an interesting take. I'm, I'm about um, to butcher. Sid and I are both in. I'll just know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm white, so um, let me explain this to you. <laughs> We're sitting um, somewhere called the Cotton Room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in North Carolina, so yeah. the South. Um, anyway, what, uh, what I was trying to say is I think the movie um, is largely told from his perspective, and I think uh, what we're trying to say about like New York, I think this is largely what he is viewing as New York City. And so I think you can kind of justify it in a way that like, I feel like this is like almost his diary and his raw thoughts. So what he focuses on are white people, and he views black people as these poor people and so he doesn't focus on what they say so maybe that's why they don't have lines maybe um, it also cannot be that at all <laughs> well i'm, I'm curious because he's because cool, he's he's, he's a bit racist. racist like there's definitely some moments of him being racist even if he doesn't drop a hard r like you can tell that he has some prejudice right um even the way he reacts to people being explicitly racist and i wonder if that was added by scorsese or schrader who wrote paul schrader who wrote the film um, as a way to make him less sympathetic. Because otherwise, there... Does he need anything to be less sympathetic? I don't know. People, like... <laughs> Did you sympathize? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I think that a certain class of, of, like, white people, probably in the 70s, even now, would look at that and be like, yeah, like, this guy is just trying to make it better. This girl rejected him for making an honest mistake. You know, there's, like, a lot of people, I mean, not just white people, like, guys who would think that, I think. And I think adding, like, an element of something that is, like, a pretty... I think probably in the 70s, that might have made him more relatable to those people. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Like, just, I mean, not explicitly racist, but, like, had, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I have no idea. I'm just curious, because yeah. that, that was also something that I no- noticed. I was like, oh, he's also a racist, which in 2018, 2019, makes you, is, like, code for he's a bad guy, right? Like, if someone is, like, pr- right. kind of racist or explicitly racist, then you're like, oh, this is a villain that we're supposed to. But in the 70s, I don't know if that's true. Right. I mean... Which is part of the problem with, like, doing this show and watching movies in general, like, retrospectively, like, looking yeah. back. It's because you don't always know what was on purpose and what was, especially during the time. So, yeah. yeah but but this difficult. movie is still considered to be, like, an all-time great. In 20... Whatever, 2012, it was, like, number 30 on Sight and Sound. But I guess, I mean, like, something can be all time. an... All- all-time great piece of art and still be problematic. Now, yeah, right? I mean, but Birth of a Nation isn't on that list. Well, yeah, but was it ever on that list? Okay, yeah, well, that, that is was, the that most extreme example you yeah. could have. <laughs> that was a groundbreaking seminal movie. That was like, it changed yeah, the way movies were That's made. fair, but I think if we go back and look I at... I would still like, say it's a must-see movie, too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> cl- like culturally, yeah, yeah, classic yeah. white guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we watched it in, in a film race and politics class I took my freshman year at Duke, and it was... All of us were just like, it was just me and a bunch of, it was mostly people of color. And we were just like really taken aback at, at the movie. It's, it's crazy. Anyway. But I, I think like you can go back 
in the last 80 years and look at movies and like most of them will be problematic. And Except so you for can Green go back like 10 years. Solve racism. Which, <laughs> which obviously is bad, but I think there is a certain thing to be said. Like you, you have to take with a grain of salt what was mm-hmm. like uh, available to them and what they were going to say. Like they're not, yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't blame Scorsese for not having any main characters who are black. Yeah. Um, I mean, you definitely have the right to dislike the movie for it, I think. No, I, I actually, <laughs> I think I'm, I mean, I'm pretty used to that. Anyone who's a person of color is like used to not seeing anyone who's not white on like these critically acclaimed movies. I'm just curious about whether there was some intent, to your point, whether it's the way that Travis views the world or just whether that's the way New York looked in the 70s or what, what Scorsese is trying to say about, if anything, about race or if it was just a totally, you know, unintentional thing that this is how it ended up. And maybe yeah. I'm just viewing it in a 2019 lens. I'm not sure. So I would love <laughs> to think that it's Nick's interpretation, which is like, we're seeing it through Travis's eyes. It's very like, sympathetic to Scorsese. Yeah, it's also like a real <laughs> interpretation, I think, that if yeah. you realize at the end that like the camera has actually just been like Travis's gaze kind of the whole time, that's yeah. really cool. I think in reality, probably Scorsese was like, ah, I don't want to deal with race. It's going to add another nuanced layer that like I don't feel equipped to handle in this movie, so I'm not going to. Yeah, but then why drop a hard R and have him be kind of racist and like yeah. do that whole. But I think, he, I think that's he like himself a... gives a monologue. Right. <laughs> He was like, but I really need to say a hard R in this scene. Uh, no, really I think that's probably, that's probably more like the um, – that's him being like explicitly racist to be like, this is a bad guy. Right. I think that's more like a character development thing than a, than a commentary on race. Yeah. Right. It's likely he had nothing to say about it in this movie. Yeah. Right. That's kind of my thought as well. Yeah. And kind of, kind of going off that is I think if this is going to be from his perspective and this whole movie is like from his mindset, I think – the movie does do a good job in t- taking you out of that mindset at the end when all these people die because it, it feels very real and like not glamorous, which I yes. think is very different yeah. from movies like The Joker. Um, yes, but so true. Yeah, I think the way they handled this, I guess, massacre at the end of all these people dying, it was just like handled a lot better because you didn't feel mm-hmm. like a sense of relief, no. which is weird because it kind of you kind of expect it to come. You know, you see throughout the whole movie that this is something bad is going to happen, so you kind of are anticipating it in the weird, messed up way, but then when it happens, you don't feel any satisfaction with it, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, is yeah. good, good You for... actually see, like, the horror, I feel like, on Robert De Niro's face when he shoots that guy's hand off. He's like, oh, man, I'm, like, in it now. You know, like, that was, like, the, watching that scene, I was like, oh, God, this is, like, not a... This, no. There's no glorification of this. Yeah. It's, like, horrifying. Like when De Niro stabs the guy's hand with the knife. God, I lost <laughs> yeah. my mind. Oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was something. Um, yeah, so I think, I think we should take a little break right now. Um, for a word from our sponsors? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, Squarespace. Word from our sponsors. And in reality, we actually just have to go do wedding stuff. Yes. But we'll be back. This episode we'll is brought to you by Gentux. <laughs> uh, and we're back. <laughs> we have now since changed, and we're now sitting in our tuxes awaiting the wedding. Um, just to update you guys of where we are. We actually dressed up for the podcast. Yeah, we're actually just dressed up for the podcast. We really went all out for this. Um, um, so yeah, let's, let's get back into it. So Taxi Driver is considered one of the greatest movies of all time, and we seem to have a different opinion about that. Sid, why do you think that people think this is the best movie of all time? So, okay, so I feel like I'm, I feel unequipped to actually answer this question because we're 40-some years from the movie at this point. Um, so this is like total guesswork here, but I would say like the acting is pretty stellar and I feel like it's easy to tell that even now. Um, it's like a, a very crisp vision, I think for the film, like it's very clear. I think both what Paul Schrader and Scorsese wanted the film to look like, and I, it feels very consistent throughout. Um, and 
I mean, like, it's really well shot. Something else that's interesting is you can kind of tell when you're watching a great director because even if you don't really believe in the, um, like, the argument that they're making or you don't really want to root for the character that they've tried to make you root for, you get the tone and the sense of emotion that they're really pushing for. And I think this movie is really great, like we were talking about earlier with that scene with the guns, at building a like, really profound sense of dread with everything that you see this guy do. Like immediately, at least I, I think partially probably given that I knew generally what the film was about, um, was a really uneasy and unnerved watching De Niro, even going about his like day to day, like just like sitting outside the campaign headquarters, like staring um, at that woman or like going to this dirty movie or, you know, any of the things that he was doing, like his normal routine, you could already tell was, you could already tell was like pretty unnerving. And I think he did a really good job of building that suspense and building that dread through the scenes where he buys the guns and he, and I, that's why I think I highlighted the scene where he pulls the gun out from his, you know, makeshift um, sleeve uh, holder thing and puts the knife in his boot and all those things. I think that that um, was all shot and paced in such a way that I was like really nervous for the ending and then the payoff was, was there. Right. I mean, yeah, I think this movie does a great job taking from point A to point B. And I think um, there's a clear arc with the character. I think it was really interesting and it provides an interesting look at two like what makes this character so appealing to watch and also like unnerving. I think that there is some, there's really good ideas in here. And I think, especially at the time of the release in 1976, that this was really just groundbreaking. And I think you have to owe a lot of why this is considered the, one of the best movies of all time to the time period. And I think that's like a fair mm-hmm. like, assertion to make. So I guess like uh, this kind of comes down to, to, for me, the broader question of like what makes a movie a great movie or like one of the best movies of all time is it that it changed the landscape of cinema going forward in this case or is it that it was like supremely well executed in a way that hasn't that wasn't really replicated for many many years or ever or like was there technology it's a combination of both I think I actually don't know so enlighten me what is considered to have changed cinema from Taxi Driver I mean we had portraits of disaffected young men we had violence we had right I think the violence that's portrayed in this movie is very unique and I think especially what we talked about earlier like the end scene is very like unglamorous and real and it feels very dark and I think it was unique at the time or you think it still is I think it was unique at the time I think we've seen that since I mean even movies like the Joker like I think is taking the same ideas and replicating it and it, whether you not you think that could did a good enough job this time but I think that was one of the first times it was ever done and I think that's what partly makes it so unique and great yeah and another thing that I think this movie does really well that I think Sid and I have been trying to get better at with our writing and our filmmaking is it does a really good job of keeping the story crisp and like removing extraneous elements in a way that I think Scorsese has kind of gone away from a little bit lately, having just seen The Irishman a week or two ago, which is three and a half hours long. Um, this movie is like a crisp hour 50, and it doesn't feel too self-indulgent. And I think... It's really... Right. I mean, this is one of the movies that made him so great. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. 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 I can totally understand that. So in, in the scope of Scorsese's career, it feels... I mean, it was probably a career turning point. And then you watch a later Scorsese and you kind of get a sense you're watching a different guy than this in some ways. Right. And I mean, that's fair. I mean, all filmmakers grow and evolve. Yeah. So like to watch a movie 40 years ago and then see a movie that he made 40 years later, like I would hope it's different. Yeah. If he was making the same stuff, he probably wouldn't be considered one of the greatest filmmakers. So... I mean, that comes with it, too. (laughs) 
Yeah, like, I guess I would also love to know, kind of from a technique perspective, what, and I don't have the expertise to know this, but, like, there's that awesome shot at the very end where they're panning over the murder scene Mm -hmm. from the ceiling, and I was reading that that was the only shot that Paul Schrader wrote into the script, and it was also one that took, like, a ton of planning because they had to, like, remove the ceiling and put a camera up there. Um, But I wonder if, like, had that been done prior to that moment, or was that, like, a groundbreaking thing that then was used in other true crime kind of stuff? I don't really know. Um, yeah, I mean, it is hard to, like, go back through history yeah. and know exactly when chronologically Like, the desaturation happened. of that fight scene was that, like, that I had also read that that was to avoid the blood looking so, like, vibrant and red to make it a little more muted and a little less violent, perhaps. But it was, was to make like, it more palatable, I think, after test yeah. screenings and after right. showing it to producers. So was that, like, the first time someone had done something like that and then did movies take that color palette and move from there? I guess, like, yeah, I just have a hard time looking back at movies that are supposed to be, like, the best for some reason, and then saying why that is the best movie. Well, let's... Right. I mean, it no I, longer affects you yeah, in the same yeah. way it Best of lists are, like, by default. Like, you, sure. uh, like, you just can't make a best of list of all movies because it just... Yeah, I guess I just wonder if it's, like, most influential movie of all time mm-hmm. list, or is it, like, a... Best? No, I think it's a... This was... In particular, these two were, like, best. But I'm, I'm curious, like, if you were to... To turn that a little bit, if you were to say it was, like, one of the greatest movies of all time, what would you point to as, like, this is why it's a great movie? Yeah, I think it's kind of what I said already. Yeah, like, yeah. It would be, like, the acting, like, Christmas, like you said. I I thought the message was, like, fairly clear, um, and perhaps the story. That, uh, that, that being said, another thing that I was thinking about a lot in this movie is, like, you say this is the best movie of all time, but does that mean we're pointing to this movie for up-and-coming filmmakers and being, like, this is a movie that you should make? Like, this is the sort of movie you should make? Because I actually don't think that's the case anymore like i don't want to see movies that no. look like i mean you, you say this you is the best movie of all time kane either right <laughs> like you wouldn't say hey this, you should make citizen kane no I, more what i say though is like i think the story was probably revolutionary for the time but i don't need to see another story like this we've seen a lot of these stories since then like this like disaffected man. right and i mean to pick one movie as the greatest movie of all time to like like basically celebrate all what film can do like this movie doesn't do that but like to pick one movie in general i think you can't just do that. I, I don't know. I mean, best of lists, I think, are just mm-hmm. kind of arbitrary anyway. So film is subjective. Nick, you're a filmmaker and you like the movie. Like what, if you're making a movie next week for class, mm-hmm. like what do you, even if it's not from a story perspective, whether it's a technique perspective or whatever, what are you taking from Taxi Driver? Yeah, I mean, no, I think definitely the cinematography was what stuck out to me the most. I thought some of the shots were like just really interesting. I wrote some of them down just but like how he is like on the phone, he's on the phone at one point and then the camera pans to the hallway about 30 seconds before he actually walks down the hallway, which is, it forces you to like listen onto the conversation and it's just very interesting that they're doing that. I mean, um, the reveal that he shaved his head and has the mohawk, it's like a full body shot and then it slowly pans up to his face. Like there's just very interesting and like purposeful camera work Mm -hmm. here. that's like one of the things that I picked up on, or at least that I was inspired by and like could potentially be influenced by if I was gonna make a film that was similar to this, I don't know. Um, I mean, also like the acting is just like extraordinary. Like Robert De Niro, I think is one of the best actors and he just completely fades away like in this too. Like, mm-hmm. especially considering other roles like, of, like Raging Bull even, which like came out four years after this. It's just so different and he's playing completely different characters. So I think mm-hmm. those two elements at least, and then just like directing, it's just like very well directed. It's a very competently made film. You're talking about acting. We haven't talked about anyone but De Niro yet. Like, Jodie Foster nominated for an Oscar at, what, 13? Yeah, yeah. she's that yeah, scene she where they're in the diner or coffee shop or whatever, I was, like, stunned by it. I thought it was so, like, naturalistic and impressive. It was awesome. Yeah, it's actually crazy that she was, like, 13 or 14, like, when this was made. She was 
really, really good. The, the scene, uh, watching her made me uncomfortable. The whole thing made us uncomfortable, I think, in a lot of ways. But the scene where she and, and Travis first meet, where Iris and Travis first meet in the hotel room or whatever, when, when they go up, when he basically pays uh, Scooter or Shooter, whatever his name is, um, to go to, to get Iris and go to the hotel room and they go and he's like trying to talk to her and she keeps trying to take off his pants. That scene was like, and it was viscerally uncomfortable. And then the other one was, I think probably honestly what to me was the most disturbing part of the whole movie. Um, disturbing scene was when she slow dances with Harvey Keitel. Ooh, yeah, I really didn't like that. scene was really well done, but I couldn't watch. I was like, this is so horrifying. Yeah, which I agree. I think this movie overall is, just, is a very well-done movie, but it's not a super re-watchable movie, partly because it's so dark and it's just very unpleasant. Yeah, let's just talk about Joker. We've alluded to it enough. <laughs> um, yeah, so what are you guys... What are the most obvious comparisons that you guys think that you got from these two movies? I think there's several different aspects you could go about it, I think. So I think, like, character arc and plot was, like, fairly similar, but I thought Joker was just, like, a more heavy-handed... Worse. Worse Taxi Driver. It's Worse Taxi Driver with superhero characters we know. It didn't really have to... It did more work than it had to do to tell us that the Joker was a bad guy. And it made it feel overlong and, like Sid said, like it really hit us on the head with it. Like, this Taxi Driver does a good job of, like, slowly painting a portrait of who De Niro is, but giving us little details around to, like, okay, so Travis is, like, kind of uncomfortable. He, like, was in the war. He, like, doesn't really know what to do himself. He's, like, definitely obsessive. Like, look at him follow this woman around. You know what I mean? And he has, like, a streak of thinking he's doing the right thing. You know, all these things we talked about. They do a really good job of painting that slowly. And Arthur Fleck is just, like, the first time we see him, he gets beat up by kids. And then the rest of the movie is just, like, him getting his face stomped in, like, constantly. And it's, like, we get it. You know, after one time, it's, like, I get it. Society doesn't like this guy. Right. No, I agree. I think this movie, that Joker is very heavy-handed. I have a question, though. So if you, because Joker is just like a character you have already, it's an established character that you've already been familiar with, do you think that, I think that plays maybe a part into it? Like, do you think that the arc is more obvious in the Joker because you kind of know the end result, whereas going in a taxi driver, you don't necessarily know where he's going to end up? No, I don't, I, I think, so the epitome of why I didn't like the Joker was that scene with Robert De Niro actually in it, the, the talk show scene where he then shoots Robert De Niro and there's that whole like bizarre dialogue back and forth and kind of the monologue, like this is what happens when you stomp on a mentally ill person, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was my problem. It wasn't that I knew where it was going. It was that like once it got there, it was like, this is about mental illness and like it's so important. Listen, and like this person has been stomped on by society. Whereas I feel like Taxi Driver, like that was all there, but it was so subtle. Even the fact that we were debating whether there is an aspect of mental illness, yeah. I think says a lot. And whether it's redemptive or not, like yeah. it's so unclear. And I think Todd Phillips just like didn't have the subtlety that Scorsese had. I mean, not only does he get, does Fleck, Joker get beat up like, I don't know, 10 different times by other people representing like, what he considers to be like the ills and the high, you know, the high class of society. He also like, uh, he also gets like fine. We found out his mom abandoned him and there's all this like nonsense about his family backstory. And like, he's maybe adopted. Is he Thomas Wayne's kid? Like all these things that just seemed totally superfluous and, and tangential to the actual story and only served to give him some, <laughs> some reason to go kill Batman's parents or some someone some reasons to kill Batman's parents you know at the end um, and, and I think like that sort of superfluous stuff in the Joker is like why is this here whereas Taxi Driver the like quote superfluous stuff was like this really contemplative portrait of the city which was really fascinating I think added to the tone the other the other obvious comparison I think is 
the way that it um, addresses the two love interests. So uh, Zazie Beetz in The Joker, and then I cannot remember her name in, in um, Taxi Driver, the blonde woman who works at the campaign. Um, it, like, on, like that arc was I just so much more compelling in, um, right. in Taxi Driver. Like, De Niro is in that coffee scene is awkward, but in a way that is like clearly a little bit charming. Like, I think he is just like kind of a charming person. And so you, you get that when you watch him. Meanwhile, like Joaquin Phoenix and Zazie Beetz is like, there's no way that you're just like so confused the whole time about why she's with him. And then you have this ridiculous reveal that he was imagining the whole thing. Like, whereas I think the fact that De Niro made an easy to make, but like socially, obviously, how do you make that mistake? But if you're someone like De Niro, we are, we understand why he makes the mistake of taking her to a porn house or to a porn theater. Right. And then the, the relationship kind of fizzles and then he's obsessed with her. That makes a lot more sense than like he imagines this relationship as the only good thing in his life and then it is, isn't there. And then you're worried that he's going to kill Zazie Beats and her daughter. And it's just like, it seems the relationship aspect seemed really important to building Taxi Driver, to building Travis Bickle's character and really unnecessary in The Joker at all. Yeah. I like that you point out the two love interests because I think that is very clearly where I see Taxi Driver just being better is that like the main character of like De Niro, like Travis, he is just he's actually pretty charming. And I think he actually, it's very believable, their conversation that they have, and they really show a long conversation of the two of them having this banter, and it actually works, maybe like 80 to 90%. Like, you know, like he is a little awkward, and he does like kind of stare longer than you should, and like there are some awkward silences, but for the most part, he's actually pretty charming, and you believe that she would leave work and go like get coffee with him at the diner. Like, that feels very believable. However, like in The Joker, like, what they, they he follows her to the bank and then this imagined reality where she's like, yeah. oh, you followed See, me today? Ha, I'm charmed. I think <laughs> the worst part of the Joker is the reveal that Zazie Beetz was imagined for a lot of that because I think it's, it's almost like paying homage to Taxi Driver by... Because there, there are scenes in the Joker where he's like pretty charming to Zazie Beetz, but it's all imagined. Mm-hmm. And I think that is like such a clear difference. It's like they, they ruin it by showing that there is like he's just like schizophrenic or something, you know, yeah. he's just imagining it. Whereas like Travis is actually a more complicated character. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's kind of mentally unstable, possibly and violent, but he's also kind of a charming person and can almost, almost be in normal society and pass off as someone who's completely normal. And that's why it's a bit more disconcerting, right? Like now, especially with all these portraits of serial killers and all these true crime podcasts and stuff where we chronicle the rise of people like Ted Bundy who are super charming and that masks kind of the, the darkness inside of them or, you know, a lot of, you know, we talk about killers and stuff like we talked about earlier. Those people are, people don't suspect them to be like wild, crazy people. Like Bickle is kind of charming and he has friends and he's a bit of a loner and he's a bit of like, you know, he's got some PTSD or whatever's going on with him, but you believe that he's a functioning member of society. Arthur Fleck exists in a world where you're like, how does this person live? He's like laughing crazily on the bus. His mom was in, you know, there's all these things. It's just more like, obvious. Yeah. It's, so it's, just, it's so much more obvious and heavy handed. Yeah. Yeah. They're just trying to paint a picture and like get the message across that this is a person who is mentally unstable and is trying to fit in society and can't. And that's yeah. why he acts out. But what would you guys say in, in terms of like, uh, I guess like mood and this, because I think the city is kind of a character in both Joker and Taxi Driver. Like how would you guys compare those? two cities right i think that's the best that's the best todd phillips did in the joker um like when compared to taxi driver i think he did a really good job of like making gotham feel like a real place and like a really terrible place yeah i, I mean again i think like obviously i think just scorsese does it better i think the scenes too of like him 
like how we were talking about earlier, how we like will focus on random people in the city and you'll see just like minute long things like throughout the film. I think that just fleshes out the city better was like in the Joker, they don't do that with Gotham. But what I, what I want to compare with the movies too is I think is what's really interesting is like the politics in both movies mm-hmm. and especially like the underground world and this anarchy of the rich and the poor and this dichotomy between I think is both really interesting. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the best part of the Joker. And that was the only element of that movie that surprised me is that I didn't expect there to be support with the Joker and him be kind of becoming this vigilante. And I thought that that was like the only really interesting part of that movie, that there's like, they're trying to say something about class and like Eat the rich. And, and, like, yeah. yeah, and like trying to balance out the, the scale or whatever. That's, that's another place that Taxi Driver is so subtle because that happens right at the end of Taxi Driver. We were talking about it earlier with the, with the press clippings. And it's like people call him a hero. Right. But in The Joker, it's like, Oh my God, this guy killed three bankers on a subway. Like, let's wear Joker masks and protest the rich and eat Thomas Wayne. You know, like, it's, I don't know. I I think, I actually disagree with you. I think that the politics was, like, also one of my least favorite parts of the Joker. I thought, like, Joaquin was great. I thought um, a lot of the scenes were really compelling. Like, the uh, the scenes with him um, being a clown, like a kid's clown and whatever. I really liked those scenes. And um, I liked the scenes with his mom. Like, I thought there was a lot of stuff in it that was good, but the stuff where he became, like, a political martyr and then was, like, all these people were, like, yeah, the Joker, like, let's, you know, this guy in a clown mask, let's kill all the rich people. And you're, like, this is, like, a lot. Like, I understand what you're saying, but it's a lot. Yeah. I guess I'm, I, I more liked it because I was just, like, surprised. surprised by it. You know, like, but, like, obviously I think Taxi Driver just does a better job and be, is more subtle about it. Like, I think just throwing it at the end with the press clippings and not analyzing it for the audience, like kind of just show it and forces the audience to really ponder it after the movie and be like, oh, this is interesting that people are, are kind of supporting that and making him a hero. Where in the movie, they analyze it for you and they just like don't live, yeah. leave you, any room to think. Do you guys think that these two movies are a reflection of what audiences wanted at the time though? Like, I guess I, I agree with everything you're saying, but I kind of wonder if like a movie that looked like, if Joker just was Taxi Driver basically right now, would it have worked like would it have been such a box office it wouldn't have gotten made (laughs) yeah i guess why not though um like if it had been more subtle and contemplated like why wouldn't that have been made no i think the reason that it's oh you mean if it was just the joker still about the joker but it was more subtle oh um i don't so you're saying in this world taxi driver doesn't exist yeah, well, <laughs> this is a terrible prompt. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, saying, no, saying the Joker was just like as subtle and as contemplative as Taxi Driver. Yeah, like does Joker have to look the way it does because audiences are expecting something like that? Um, like how much of it is reactionary to what we're expecting rather than like Todd Phillips being like, this is my very crisp vision for it? How much of it is the studio being like, we have to change it because audiences won't like? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that you... that society demands that you shove all the messages down their throat. You know what I mean? Like there are so many scenes where people are in Joker masks and, you know, doing all these things. I think one would have sufficed even, you know, like Thomas Wayne is like a cartoonish rich guy. And I think Palantine is like a, a good example of how you can be kind of an elitist and like have these ideas. And we don't even know what he's, what he stands for. We just know what he represents. Whereas Wayne, it's like, these guys need to yeah. do a hard day's work. You know, they're all bums, whatever. And you're like, okay, dude. And it's, I mean, it's like a cartoonish representation of like Republican politics, which I think maybe the difference is that in the seventies po- politics was a lot more like it's portrayed in taxi driver. And today it's a lot more like it's portrayed in Joker. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think just having <laughs> Joker. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's a good question. <laughs> I think just having Joker, having that IP attached to it, naturally makes you like. I th- I feel like the studio was probably worried that if it was too subtle, most audiences wouldn't get it because they're trying to reach such a mass audience with this film, and so they tried to hammer it. The themes, like they try to keep all the themes that Taxi Driver had, but they're trying to make it more obvious so that people yeah. would like it. And I, I do think that's kind of what happened. And I think that's why Joker generally is pretty well received by a lot of people. Like this is a movie that all of my friends, regardless of whether in the film or not, saw. And especially the people who weren't in the film, I think liked it more mm-hmm. because they haven't seen other movies do it better. They haven't seen other superhero movies do it better. I think that's the thing. It's like right. this is, and I think comparatively compared- to other super movies, it's superhero movies. It is better. Than a lot of them. I actually prefer, in terms of like, I prefer Logan, which is another example of like uh, yeah, a prestige, better, a prestige um, superhero movie that's like a portrait of a you know a self reflective I mean, man. I think the whole but, like Nolan Batman series tackles. Yeah, I think those are the really two well, exceptions but, that yeah. I had. I, honestly, <laughs> I like Avengers Endgame more. Like I like most of the. I watched Spider Man Far From Home on the plane better. Like I don't know, it's, it's a different tone. It's a, going for a different thing. They are going for different. But yeah. they, but the, even the themes and messages there are like a bit more subtle. I think of the characters, but I don't know. I think what it, I don't know. I, I feel like it didn't take much from Spider-Man: Far From Home, or at least I'm still thinking about the Joker, or at least people want to talk about the Joker more and like a substantive discussion. Right. Whereas like Spider-Man: Far From Home is definitely just more popcorn entertainment. Yeah, I mean, but so I at think, least it tried for something. Yeah, but more. Joker was yeah. So that's the thing. Joker is like very wants you to know that it is capital I important, right? It, it's like this is a movie about mental illness and it is important and it is talking about things in a political way and it also it's a superhero movie, so pretty dope, huh? Like, that's, like, the whole thing that Todd Phillips is saying with this movie. And it, I don't know, I don't... I, I have, actually, I want a, a question kind of relatedly that I want to ask you, kind of comparing it to Taxi Driver again. Um, as we talked about it, I realized that almost every element of Taxi Driver is in The Joker. Like, yeah, as you were comparing it, like, Palantine and, like, Thomas yeah. Wayne is the yeah. exact same thing. And yeah. there are... So many instances, like, yeah. How do you feel about that? And do you think that Joker adds anything to the conversation that Taxi Driver hadn't already said? Uh, I don't know if it does, but it reaches a new audience and a bigger audience, probably. And do you appreciate Taxi Driver more knowing that the Joker exists and this is a bad way to do the Taxi Driver? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, if anything, this is a good, good way to compare what makes good movies and bad movies because it takes the same themes and one of them is just and like the same story. very <laughs> objectively better. Yeah, yeah, the same themes and story. Just basically the same movie. Just one, the character's name is the Joker. You know, so I'm convinced Taxi Driver is the best movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's uh, just better than bad movies. <laughs> um, I, I would say the one thing that really differs for me is the ending of the Joker versus the ending of mm-hmm. of Taxi Driver. In that Taxi Driver, like if it had, if it it had ended like Joker had ended, it would have ended with him killing the senator and then like being celebrated by the city for it. But I think because it took that turn and he ends up going killing like people that he views as like part of the CD underbelly, I think that gives it a big leg up in my mind. Yeah. Where yeah. this like if Joker had ended with him like pivoting and actually doing something good at the end, that would have been like more interesting to me. And it doesn't make a lot of sense as I think about it now, like why is killing De Niro like the thing? You know, I'm like why is why is killing this It's very comedy? over the top. And but, but also what does this comedy person represent? I mean, to, to Arthur Fleck, it represents everything that he's not. He's not funny. He's not popular. He's not well-liked. He doesn't have a platform. But right. to... He was just someone who was kind of mean. But to him. the population, yeah. like, what does this say? It's just like, 
it's he's doing a Tosh.0 thing, and then everyone in the entire world, in the entire city, is like, yeah, fuck this guy who we love, who's like the David Letterman of our city. Yeah. Like, you know, like it doesn't make any sense to me why that was like a, a big striking point. I think, yeah, he, I, yeah. and he didn't even kill like Thomas Wayne gets killed on the side of the like after um, Fleck is already like knocked out on a police car. That's just like a lead into the Batman movies, which also makes me think like, so is Joker sixty? In the next Batman movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I really don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't, like, I don't watch DC movies generally, but. Yeah, I think the ending is what, that is probably what differs the most between the two, and it's almost just like Todd Phillips was like, okay, we can't replicate this movie entirely. What do we got to do that's different? And then his ending just makes less sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, again, it's this more heavy-handed showing the actual scene of, like, him being in, like, of Joker being in the car watching anarchy happen. That just seems... Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know, it's just not as good. <laughs> so, so to pause the shitting on Joker just really quickly, I actually think another place that Joker and Taxi Driver do the same thing, obviously, because Taxi Driver's Joker's just Taxi Driver, but it's done really well in the Joker as well, is when um, Todd Phillips kind of lets Joaquin Phoenix breathe and play a little bit in his scenes in front of the mirror, like when he's putting on clown makeup or when he's sitting there in his apartment, or a scene that I just realized is like another really similar scene that I really liked in Taxi Driver is where De Niro's got his gun and he's staring. This is after he attempts, I think, after he attempts assassination and he's staring at the TV and he accidentally shoots the TV and then Joaquin Phoenix like shoots the wall. Um, and I think that, those are really effective scenes and I, in both movies and I think it just, it highlights the differences in the characters because De Niro's like, fuck, like I, you know, I right. shot the TV in, and our Fleck is like, oh my god, he's like cartoonishly jumping around and stuff. Um, right. I mean, again, I, I viewed that specific scene of him like knocking the TV over and shooting it. Like, I, that felt to me like that was a clear turning point of his character, and like literally the TV falling is him like losing grasp on his sanity. Mm-hmm. Like, I viewed that more metaphorically and just like a very obvious, or not even very obvious, just like a, like a subtle turning point of his character. Whereas in the Joker, it seemed like they were including it just to match more with. Taxi driver. <laughs> Actually, I think it's, I feel that that in Joker was like a turning point for Fleck, and then Taxi dri- Driver was just emblematic of something that was already happening. It's just like everything that could go wrong with this particular part of his plan went wrong, and so now it's like yeah, it wasn't like a clear flip of the switch. No, That's not what I'm trying to say. Oh, okay. But I think it's just like it is a, it is a visual symbolism mm-hmm. of his character that's already happening where, yeah, maybe in the Joker, I think it, that is more of a flip of the switch. And to say, and to, I guess, quote Sid, like, this, that is a superfluous scene, kind of, right, in Taxi Driver. You don't need that. Um, but it adds a lot, even though it, it just, like, is kind of a random aside. I don't know. Sid, what do you think? Uh, so what do you think? So <laughs> what did I think? Um, no, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm in agreement with everything you guys have said for the most part in the last few minutes. I, 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 I do feel like we've, we've kind of been just like wrecking Joker. Um, right. And also, I'm not... I'm I think not, it's, just, it's important to critique and like, like, like draw similarities between two films because I think this is, a good, this is a really good example of what not to do in a film and what to do in a film because sure. they're both so similar and one just does it better, I think. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. Um, but yeah, let's, let's wrap it up. Overall thoughts. Um, do you guys like the film more now that we've discussed it? Like, I know you were kind of saying that. Yeah, I, I like it much more now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. okay, well, that's good. Um, do you feel that it's fair to put this on one of the best movies of all time on that list? Oh, I don't know. I mean, so f- it's not one of my favorite. Like, Sid and I have a list of, like, 20, 30 movies yeah. that we think that are, like, our favorite movies, and it would yeah. not make that list. Um, but I think it's 
a good movie. And I think what about as, culturally or like I think yeah, like culturally, I don't have probably, a context to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't either. That's My fine. guess is that I think it probably was very influential and. I, I trust the people that, mm-hmm. that make yeah, these things. Yeah, I agree. And like yeah. Sid said, we, we don't know who drew inspiration from it because we don't have the, the yeah. context of living through the time. And a lot of the things that we kind of found run-of-the-mill, um, apart from like the good character and the good acting and everything that we liked about it originally, um, is probably super influential. Like I was telling him, I just watched The Matrix for the first time last a couple of months ago. And I had I was like watching these ac- action sequences and like the bullet time stuff. And I was like, this is cool, but I've seen this like a million times. And, like all right. these sitcoms. Again, yeah, and that's things. definitely a, a movie like, that was... Oh, right, but this is the first time. Right. So it's like really impressive, you know. But it's like Star Wars, same kind of yeah. thing. You watch the old Star Wars, and you're like, this looks bad. Yeah, it looks bad. But it was Even like, Citizen Kane, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's so many examples. But. Uh, but yeah, I like it a lot more. And um, I think it's... I'm gonna have to. I guess I should rewatch it and like think about the things that we've talked about. Well, that's my other question: is like, do, do you guys think you're ever gonna rewatch this film in like a, a while? Yeah. It was like very. It was very dark. I'll rewatch yeah. it just I for think analysis purposes, like yeah. to think yeah. about what we just talked about. I think yeah, I think there's a lot more to pull from it too. I think mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of visual mm-hmm. storytelling going on that's really interesting. I think as filmmakers, the three of us can learn a lot from this, especially the cinematography pacing. Um, and like the, the framing in cinematography specifically. Um, so I think it's probably worth the rewatch just for that. Cause I was kind of watching for enjoyment and story and to like talk about it and less so for like, let me note down these frames. But I think having hear, heard you guys talk about certain scenes and the framing of those scenes, probably worth going back and doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that kind of wraps up our conversation then. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, yeah. Do you guys want to plug your stuff in real quick? Right. Yeah, we have, right. we have short films, though. They're out in the world, and we have one coming out soon. That we're very excited about. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Really happy to have you on. Um, this kind of wraps up another episode of So What Do You Think? A little bonus episode in North Carolina. Let's get we married. Gotta, we got to go to the wedding <laughs> <Yes>. now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. All right. Bye.